So everything sounds good? Yeah. All perfect. All right. <sighs> Welcome back. Yeah. To- oh, sorry. Oh, what? Did you listen to the audio drama just before we start with the podcasting? Uh, no, not yet. I went. I had to go play basketball. Uh, no problem, man. I'm listening to it tonight, probably. Nice. Um, for Tylius. Okay. But um, yeah. So, how, wait, is it like a rough draft or is it fully done? It's it's the it's fully done. Unless you want to change your lines or anything, that's that's the whole thing outside of the discretion in the credits. Okay. Yeah. Which I'm getting those recorded. Like they should be sent to me sometime. Uh, sometime tonight, I should be getting those. So yeah, it's just about done. All right. <clears throat> All right. Welcome back to Harlem Podcast. Okay, episode. I think it's episode eight. This will be or episode nine. Either way, it's an episode, and we got turning back on the podcast to talk about. Some new releases that got released digitally, some DC things that are going on, and some Pixar stuff. But um, yeah. So how's it been, Trinan? Uh, pretty great, man. How's it? Uh, how's it been with you? Pretty good, pretty good. Um, first thing I thought I think we should talk about is arguably the biggest thing that's been ha- happened in cinema is somehow Scoob released digitally. Oh yeah, yeah. That's been a uh, that's been a pretty hot topic among uh, certain companies, you know, like certain theaters and stuff like that. Not necessarily Scoob, but just like the whole digital distribution method. Um, and yeah, I mean, if you consider like the overall quality of Scoob, I mean, I know everyone's gonna have like a different opinion on it, but, but I mean, if you consider like the overall reception and everything, it does kind of seem like a smart move for WB to capitalize on because I feel like Scoob wouldn't have been an absurdly successful movie in theaters personally. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I guess it depends on how you view it because I think, I think that it could have been like a pretty successful film box office wise just because, um, it's the first Scoob film in theaters in a while. And then, um, Excuse me, and then it's following the summer trend that was going to come of of like you know animated coming of age films, basically. Oh animated yeah, films, but um, origin stories, right? Yeah, there were a lot of those actually. Like there was the SpongeBob movie that was also supposed to come out the same month that was also had flashbacks about their past, which was like, exactly. yeah. I don't know. I'm, I don't know what Nickelodeon's doing with that now. Like I was kind of hoping they'd release it digitally but like it doesn't that doesn't seem to be what they're doing and yeah yeah that's kind of confusing what they're doing they just kind of wiped off their slate and they're just like waiting i guess yeah i thought it was gonna get released too but i think it's getting pushed back i think Mm. that's what i heard last but um that's fine though i mean the animation in it looks really great so i i would love to see it in theaters yeah, the animation looks interesting. I'm excited to see how it all turns out. I, I, I don't know. I'm still a little iffy because you know how I feel about the second film. But, <laughs> yeah. you know, it yeah. is what happens. But um, going back to Scoob, before we talk about the whole digital thing, because there's, mm. I guess there's just too much yeah. that 
to to that to say about it, which that I can't even say about because I don't know enough because I don't really care enough. No offense to people that might be twisting their horns about digital releases, but yeah. I could care less. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, going back to Scoob, Scoob, um, what was your thoughts on the initial reaction? Because I was surprised because it felt like people liked it at first and then a couple days down the road is when people really started to be like, yeah, it's not that good. That, yeah, that was my exact reaction to it, honestly, because I liked it at first. I was like, you know what? There's there's parts I thought were enjoyable. You know, it's a, it's a um, fun little like temporary distraction, and that's about it. Like, It's funny because I actually posted two letterbox reviews for it, and the first one, I think I gave it like a three or something. And it was like, I was like, yeah, it's, it's good as like a momentary distraction, but nothing more, you know, like it's severely lacking substance. It's not anything spectacular, but it was enjoyable for the moment. And then I posted another one where I think I have like two stars or one and a half or something like that. And I just said, um, uh, every time I think about this movie, the rating gets lower because that's really, there's, there's nothing, it comes down to just there being no substance, that there's, there's nothing to the film that makes you want to go back and watch, it makes you even want to think about it, really, because there's just, it's such a bland, like, it's, it's just the most generic animated movie probably ever made, but with Scooby-Doo characters. Yeah, see, that's, I had a big problem with the movie, too, but, for me, I gave it, I think, a one and a half. I might have given it two, but because there was a couple moments, you know, an odd moment here or there that was decent, but really it was only the first 10 minutes that I really enjoyed, like the original intro and then, mm. well, not the original intro, but like, like a remix version of the original intro and like the, like actually seeing the, you know, kind of like. Yeah, um, like the pop modern, modern version. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, no, like the modern version of the intro. Like, oh, uh, yeah, that, yeah. That was sick. I like that. And then, yeah. And then Scooby-Doo meeting Shaggy for the first time wasn't bad. It was it was cool. And all of that, it was looking like it was building into something. Then all of a sudden, Simon Cowell was on screen. And I was like, oh, okay. And then it just went downhill literally from that moment on. But Honestly, um, when that happened, I, I thought it was like, I thought it was just so weird and out there that I was like, you know what? This movie might have my attention. Like this is something very strange that makes literally no sense in regards to the story. And I was like, I don't know if this is a good or a bad storytelling device. And I mean, we know how it is in the end now, but like, yeah, I was interested at first. I was like, you know, Shrek two did the same thing. So like, I'm kind of, and that's a great movie. So I'm kind of interested. Um, see right off the bat for me when they did the Simon Cowell things there's two ways for me to look at it one way was uh, it's kind of generic because everyone has Simon Cowell in their movie for some reason because you know he's like the he's a huge name and yeah I, like move like kids movies they do it all the time they've been doing it for the last like six years and it's just kind of I mean they've been now. doing it since Shrek 2 which is which was uh, 16 <laughs> years ago exactly and then number two was oh but the scooby-doo i mean the, the, maybe it's gonna be like maybe there's gonna be references to scooby-doo movies where they had all these guest stars every that's what i was episode. thinking too. yeah so i was like oh maybe there's somewhere they can go with this but then it was literally like simon cowell's here for 10 seconds and then it was like oh yeah <laughs> that was it and then uh and then from there on it didn't even feel like a scooby-doo movie for the most part maybe another few minutes of like when they searched for food and that was, that was pretty much it. after that it was like 
am I watching Scooby-Doo or am I just watching, or is it Riverdale where it's like yeah. something completely different, but with fucking characters of something that's popular. And that's basically what it was. Yeah. Which is disappointing because yeah, I think that's really the big problem with the movie is that they missed the heart and soul of what Scooby-Doo is and what Scooby-Doo has been and why it's been so timeless since, cause I mean, it's been going since like 69 and it's like, it's still strong. And I mean, that's because of how just, like I said before, timeless, the whole story is and the whole premise and the stray from that is a risky move, like kind of, but I don't think it paid off in their favor because they were more focused on the corporate side of things than actually telling a good story. Cause there were aspects I liked about it. Like I actually really liked um, Dick Dasterly from uh, wacky races. He was really good as the villain, surprisingly, but like yeah. not really for a Scooby-Doo movie, you know? Like, as a Wacky Races movie, that would be awesome. But for a Scooby-Doo movie, it's like, that's not really (laughs) Scooby-Doo, you know? And I get they're trying to do this whole cinematic universe thing. But, like, I just, I don't think Scooby-Doo was the right starting point. If you're trying to do a Hanna-Barbera cinematic universe. I know. And one of the things I really didn't like was that one Scooby-Doo property has in common is that... uh, pacing to them where they follow a structure like it's really fast pretty much most of the time and the only time they slow down except for when you go to the movie the the live action movie they kind of slow down are like just like just looking around discovering the island more and stuff but um mm-hmm. in this there's like a i feel like a 30 minute period that felt like it was two hours long where there was just nothing interesting happening at all and um, and I think that that takes you really, like out of the movie. And then once you're out of this movie, you're out of it because there's nothing mildly interesting enough to put you back into it. Yeah, I mean it is it is a bit of a frustrating movie. I get that, and I think that also extends to sort of the choices, the creative choices that WB made in production of it. Like, for instance, like the voice acting. Like, I don't want to disrespect any of the people that they got to do voice acting for the movie, but like, I don't know why they chose to stray from the original cast especially when the names that they got weren't even aren't even really big names now except maybe amanda seyfried like i think she might be the, the only really big zac name efron. i mean yeah zach efron but like that's a whole different demographic by this point will forte is pretty big oh yeah too. Will forte yeah but like it, it was a it, my thing is is um Right, but like, still, I don't think those names are big enough, especially for the kid audience that they're going for. Like, the movie's obviously targeted towards kids, right? So it's like, for the kid audience that they're going for, I think it's going to do more to disconnect them from the story than it would to connect them. Because, I mean, I've already heard stories and everything around where people take their kids to go see the movie or they they get the movie for their kids. And their kids are like, why isn't this? Like, they're like, I grew up, with, or I grew up watching Scooby-Doo. Um, or I'm watching Scooby-Doo as a young kid and why aren't these the same voices? Like I hear these same voices throughout movies, throughout all the different incarnations, throughout every different version of Scooby-Doo, there's these same voices. And yet for some reason, like, you know, the new ones, and yet for some reason I don't hear them in this movie. And I feel like that's a major issue that they didn't really bother to solve. They just kind of were like, eh, kids will accept it. Yeah, I think that was a pretty big um, uh, risk on their part, just to even think about that. But also at the same time, I think that um, kids that like Scooby-Doo are probably going to like this movie at the end of the day. Like, if I'm really breaking it down to, like, kids that like Scooby-Doo, 
they'll probably like this, you know, because there's enough Scooby-Doo moments um, that they'll enjoy it. Like, like I said, the first 10 minutes are, are pretty fantastic, especially if you're a Scooby-Doo fan. You'll really like the first 10 minutes because, um, like, I love what they did with Shaggy. Like, he's listening to you know, make a friend podcast and they're talking about loneliness and it seems like there's something maybe interesting about this. that's going to go maybe a little bit deeper, more personal, but then for us, they kind of abandon that and that's not interesting anymore. But for kids, man, they're going to enjoy the fact that they go to what a bowling alley and then a bunch of robotic aliens are, you know, chasing Scooby-Doo and Shaggy, like the show or something right like that i don't think they're going to care too much about that yeah um who voices the characters at the end of the day like because kids like i had this conversation with tyler Mm -hmm. when he was on the podcast is like when you're a kid you watch the same thing over and over and over again so you really don't care at some point because you only have so much you know available to you so for the people that do only have scoob available to them i I just don't think they're going to mind after a while they'll probably watch Mm -hmm. it over and over and over again anyway and i I thought the voice acting was about as good as it was going to get with new voice actors. Like, I, um, I do wish they brought back yeah, uh, the guy that Shaggy. I understand, like, yeah, Matthew Lillard for sure. He was mm-hmm. the one that I really wanted. But I understand why they wouldn't bring back the original voices or, like, the last voices for, like, Velma, Daphne, and Frank. Especially since they weren't a big part of this um, movie. I think where they went wrong is the voices for Dynamo. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, because he was a completely different character than he was when. Yeah, you're right. A lot of the characters were very different. Um, honestly, for setting up a whole Hanna Barbera cinematic universe, they didn't really pay much. Like, there weren't really many different Hanna Barbera characters in it. Like, I was expecting to see like, like there's a ton of references in the background, but like I was expecting to see like a ton of different Hanna Barbera characters in the movie. Um, but no, you really just get like. Dick Dastardly, Captain Caveman, Dynamite, Blue Falcon. Even then, it's not like the old Blue Falcon. It's like a newer, um, redesigned version of him. But like, yeah, you don't you don't really get that yeah. many. Um, you don't really get that many Anna Barbera characters, and it's a shame because I was really excited to see them, even if I wasn't like hugely excited for the movie itself. Yeah, I think that when it comes down to it, it's like the movie just feels really lazy. Like they kind of just threw it all after a certain amount of time, and it's kind of what you ended up with. Like the animation's fantastic; it looked great. Um, but there's just so little substance and so little things interesting. And like you said, and I, and I said this when I first watched the movie, I put on my story is, like, uh, you know, they don't have the, you know, Scooby Doo charm that kept you know. Uh, people watching the show for 15, 20, 40, whatever many years people have been willing to watch it and show their kids the show and what makes the show um, connect to kids and even adults. Like we talk about um, like their most, one of the most popular TV series of recent is like mystery incorporated. That's like a, and that is pretty popular for like mm. even like older demographics right but it still has that charm to it of like a old school scooby-doo like they have some of the same cheesy corny jokes and like the dynamics that they're supposed to have you know but it's a little more mature obviously more interesting but my point essentially is is that there's something that makes scooby-doo scooby-doo and it's in everything scooby-doo does yeah. except i for mean this movie. i 
feel like there's a few other Scooby-Doo things that are lacking, like that Scooby-Doo charm. But I think the reason why this one in particular... Oh, yeah. Yeah, I feel like in particular why this one is missing is because it strays so far from the formula. Like, it doesn't even acknowledge the formula formula outside of the opening scene, Um, which I find it really funny because they marketed the movie around those first 10 minutes. (laughs) It's just like all the marketing was around the flashbacks and stuff, and that barely even was the movie. Um, But, yeah, I, I feel like it's just because it strays so far. It's like, I mean... Velma doesn't even lose her glasses once. I mean, <laughs> it's it's not really Scooby Doo. It's it's more cinematic universe with Scooby Doo characters. I mean, you can even look at the title, which is just Scoob. It's like they're missing the Edu. <laughs> you know, they're they're missing the um, other half of that, which is kind of symbolic of the movie itself. It's like it's it's got all the pieces and everything, but there's just that core component that it's missing that it needs. Yeah, so it's probably that I just wishes it was a pup named Scooby Doo movie. Yeah, that would have been something. If Maybe they probably better than that. that great, because that's good. Um, that is like the best Scooby Doo intro. That would have been amazing. I know, but um, yeah. I mean, there's there's uh, yeah. I guess to a certain extent, I guess like probably should like Scoob is probably what mm-hmm. we should have expected. Like honestly, all things considered, like. But it just sucks. Like if you're a Scooby Doo fan and you know you you're going into this thinking, like even if you think you're going in thinking, I don't care if it's not a good movie. I just want it to be a Scooby Doo movie. Well, it's not a Scooby Doo movie and yeah. it's not a good movie. So you're really left uh, screwing both sides there. But um, I'm sure some kids will enjoy this. Like even if they're if they're Scooby Doo fans or not Scooby Doo fans, like it's gonna hit its demographic. I think. I think it already has hit its demographic because it. It was apparently like a really yeah. big release. I mean, and it get, it's getting a lot of good yeah. things from like. I mean, like, know, it's good for them, so, I guess. You know, if kids well, like, can like, find something to enjoy in it and, you know, watch it. It just disappoints me with children's media how oftentimes they just go the lazy route when it's like, if you look at like, like for instance, the best Scooby Doo incarnations, like Zombie Island, which is Ghost, uh, Mystery Inc., stuff like that. They they're for kids, but they also try so much more. Like they try to be so much. They try to be for everyone, you know, not just for kids. And it disappoints me that companies will make something for kids and they'll set just settle for that. Like they won't try to do anything more. They won't try to go above and beyond while making something for kids because it can be for kids, but it can also be so much more. And just I find that immensely disappointing, especially with something like Scoop. You know, because Scooby Doo was already like a dark. It was. It wasn't too too dark, but for like entry level horror, it was. It was pretty. Uh, you don't see many horror themed cartoons around, so like it already had that sort of stepping stone to be dark, and it's just really disappointing that they didn't do anything with it. Yeah, I mean, my biggest issue with Scoob is just I, I just didn't like that they, they like they obviously had some like decent ideas they had some like beginning pieces they could have built off of but it just feels i feel like it just deters to like a completely different route that um like the first part of the film was building uh wasn't building up to and, and i think that's where it goes on how i really wish they focused a little bit more on the origin story um like a theme like that theme of loneliness that that's really only there in that first um 10 minutes and then it's back again around the end of the movie, but it's really weak and like really on the nose and like, there's really um, 
ooh, I'm, you know, like, whatever reason, it's like, um, it, it's kind of just generically used. And I think if they could have done it in, like, a better, deeper way and, like, had a better origin story and I think they could have focused more around uh, younger versions of themselves. I, I just think that also it has a lot to do with the marketing, too. You know what I, you know how I feel about false marketing? Mm. With yeah, movies, so. <laughs> yeah, the back of the SpongeBob <laughs> thing, right? Um, I, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I have a lot of problems. Another issue I think I have with it is the animation, which is fine. It's clean. It's crisp. But it's like, I wish they would have done more with the animation, too. Because it's like you look at movies like Into the Spider-Verse, Peanuts movie, even the new SpongeBob movie. They all have animation that's sort of like taking the cartoon and putting it into in a pseudo CGI form while also kind of still looking 2D. And I wish that, well, not so much the SpongeBob movie, but I mean, you get what I mean with that. But like, I wish, um, yeah, Scoob would have tried to do because it looks exactly the same as Storks and it looks exactly the same as the Shanning Tatum Yeti movie. I can't remember the name of, um, it, it doesn't look like Scooby-Doo really outside of the character designs and stuff. It just looks like a generic animated kids movie. And I find that really disappointing that they wouldn't have given it like a good Scooby-Doo style, you know, like zombie Island or something um, like that style. Yeah. I mean, I get what you're saying. I like the animation personally, just cause I like that. It, it, it kind of looked like an enhanced kind of version of, the yeah. and I mean um, it's not bad series in a way where like the character designs are great and yeah um yeah like and, and it was just it was just nice to see like it felt like a futuristic version of of the characters that we knew but outside of the characters I can agree that it, it was mm-hmm. for the most part pretty bland I guess is like the best way to describe it and um I guess it just fits with the rest of the movie because I guess it's what the real issue with the movie is just just kind of bland you know at, at its soul so but yeah Scoob um you know it could have been a lot better if people were I guess willing to put more work into it I feel like that at the end of the day it felt like <laughs> I was gonna say it felt scrappy I mean it basically felt like scrappy the last scrappy do references yeah and i mean that's another disappointing thing just, though it's like they have such yeah. a wide array of characters to work with in the scooby-doo universe i find it disappointing that they decided to go out there and use characters from other hanna-barbera like i know they want to tie it in they want to make huge thing but it's like you got yeah, the Boo brothers dumb. you have the cat people from zombie island you have tim curry from the witch's ghost you have like uh scrappy do you have all of these characters from so many movies, so many shows that you can use, yeah. and yet you don't choose to use any of them. Yeah, and like I, and yeah, I agree completely with that because like I'm just thinking of the origin story where like Scooby's all alone, but you know Scooby's got like a brother and like um like a, like close family members, and <laughs> yeah. but we're not gonna get into all that. Scoob's I mean, you want to move on to the next thing engine, now, then? Because so. um, like, <laughs> I don't know what else there is to say about Scoob. Except yes, it's yes. So kind of just forgettable and bland, yeah. and you know, whatever <laughs> it exists. Yeah, cool. yeah. To clear it up for me, at the end of the day, Scoob. It's like I, I can see that there's certain aspects of the movie that are great. Like, like I said, I love the first ten minutes of it. Like the connection between Scooby and Shaggy, you can kind of like it's a cool, it's a great scene to get, like get the audience engaged. Like they're interested, like they want to 
they want to see that first moment Shay and Scooby meets and like uh, the corny comedy of Scooby fucking riding on a, a barrel of whatever down the beach and you know that moment of Shaggy you know going through all these lonely medias like lone like lonely music or a lonely podcast about how he needs friends and it's like it, it's it's building up to them meeting and it's pretty much perfect at that moment but then like we said like I said at least when Simon Cowell walks into this film for some reason just changes completely and it becomes a whole new movie and and it sucks but yeah that's all I had to say about it um next topic we got now that we're finally finished with Scoob is well, some big news in the world of DC nerds that <laughs> don't know how to fuck off. Oh, <laughs> We're yes. getting the Snyder Cut. I am excited for that. I am very, very, very excited. I never thought I would see the day, honestly. And I am so excited for that. I'm going to get an HBO Max subscription to watch that. And probably only that. <laughs> I'm definitely getting HBO Max. Um, just because they're going to have a bunch of free stuff yeah. at first to watch a bunch of stuff. I'm probably never going to watch uh, the Snyder Cut because I, I mean, just for don't me, care enough. I yeah. just, for me, it's like, who cares? Well, for me, I seen the movie it's yet. like, it's less what it represents as a movie. Like, I, I'm not a huge fan of Zack Snyder's movies personally. It's more what it represents for just filmmaking in general because this has never happened before. Like, the closest thing you can compare it to is maybe the Sonic redesign. But even then, this is on a whole nother level. Like, they're spending $20, $30 million to finish the VFX to get the crew back and reshoot a couple scenes and, like, actually make this into Zack Snyder's complete vision. And honestly... Like, good for him for actually getting it completed. I mean, he had to leave because his daughter committed suicide. And he had this he had this really dark and depressing time. And then, like, this, these people came together and they raised money for suicide health or mental health awareness and suicide prevention. And they did all this great stuff. Like, of course, there's a toxic part of the fan base. You know, like, all fan bases have that. But they genuinely did a lot for this man. And they actually made it so he's able to complete his vision. Like, that's insane. That's incredible. Like, I can't wait to watch it. Even though, like I said, I don't really like Zack Snyder movies. I'm still going to, like, because this is, it's just something that's never been done before. Yeah, I get what you're saying. I'll probably just watch the original <laughs> movie, the, the original version, because I can only assume this Snyder yeah, cut's going to be like apparently it's supposed to be like four hours crazy. long. It's going to be split and... into episodes, like from what I've been hearing. That's one rumor. <laughs> yeah, like they're going to episodes see uh, yeah that just sounds yeah. ridiculous to me it's just like why yeah you may as well just release the whole four-hour cut as a film yeah. at that point i mean it's like that's what everyone wants anyway but yeah i, I don't mean, really have a problem with that though, because it's like yeah what you're saying 80 percent of the movie apparently was like reshot from Zack snyder's vision so like only like 20 percent of the snyder of snyder's cut is in the justice league theatrical cut so it's i'm really interested to see what um what this is going to tell because there's been so many rumors like this thing has been like the stuff of legend like the holy grail of like movies like <laughs> nobody thought this was going to actually happen and, and apparently like dark sides in it like green lanterns in it and martian manhunters in it like there's just so much crazy stuff i've heard from it i just i need to see it just to see if any of this stuff comes true I will check it out depending on which Green Lantern's in it. 
But with that being, with all that being said, it's just I feel like mm-hmm. I've given Snyder more than enough chances to please me or or impress me. He just yeah, you, he just failed. Like there's so many times where I just wanted one of his movies to be really good for me, and then I just didn't <laughs> like it. Like I I'd, mean, I'll never forgive him. For honestly, though, it's man. pretty insane that this <laughs> like, man made two movies that were critically reviled. He was kicked out of the DC universe. And then he had a strong and passionate fan base fight for three years to bring him back. And now he's actually back in some way, shape and form. Like that's kind of insane. Like, Zack Snyder is like at the top of the world right now, which is hilarious and kind of awesome. Even though, like I said, I don't really like his movies, but I love that. I know. Like he just, that's so crazy that he made this like critically reviled, series and then just like the his fan base is something else like they're like cult leaders by this point and it's crazy the Zack Snyder cult but like I don't know yeah yeah I don't really like Snyder fans or DCU fans no hate on them or anything I just find that they're well to be fair I don't really like fan bases in general anymore just because mm. they're all kind of just you know doing yeah, their own yeah, toxic things so it is what it is but um but um, yeah, there's not too much I can say about the Snyder mm-hmm. Cut just because I'm just not interested in it like everyone else. Like everybody wants to see it, and I'm like, you know, I can't watch <laughs> that much. I get that Snyder DC stuff in one sitting. I just can't do that. I, I refuse to. I've already made the mistake of watching Batman vs Superman for a second time, and that was a mistake. <laughs> and I know I keep bringing back Batman vs Superman, but you know how much I thought, like, going into mm. it, how much I was like, yo, this might actually be good. This is going to be great. And then how much yeah. I absolutely hated it after watching it. Oh, Basically, yeah. it I like mean, you apparently, like, Squad. there's this thing going around um, now, like, release the Iyer cut of Suicide Squad, which, like, David Iyer's been... But, like, AT&T, who up. is, like, a subsidiary of... Or who owns HBO, I'm pretty sure, and is... um releasing hbo max they've they've been uh talking to david Iyer. like they've been really supportive of supportive of it apparently so like this is also going to be very interesting because apparently there was like 90 percent of the joker's footage like i don't like jared Lowe's joker but 90 percent of his footage wasn't used in the final yeah cut. so like if if they can release yeah this cut, like with like that's like a 90 percent joker movie i'll check it out like well, yeah. If we, if there's a fucking version of it that has like everything that was cut, because a lot was cut from the original film, I'll watch it just because it's just going to be mm-hmm. interesting to see how much more of an impact certain characters have. Because like the Joker thing is obviously a perfect example, but like I doubt it's going to make. Because the thing with Jared Leto's Joker is that nobody hated Jared Leto's Joker. <laughs> Because he wasn't in it enough, yeah. everyone just hated the style of the character. That's it. It's like like how I feel like more of yeah. him is just gonna make people hate it even more. It's like just put it to rest. We've already put it to rest. We moved on mm. to the solo Joker film that's completely away from DCU, and, and everyone, well, not everyone, but most people love that one. And most, and yeah. I think most people love. But I mean, the performance. This is, and yeah, it's just like. I mean, this be is cool a fascinating watch, turning point, but... though, for, like, streaming services in general, because imagine how much HBO Max can get away with this now. They can, like, Ugh. release all of these weird alternate cuts of films that people want to see on their streams, because n- this would never work in theaters, stuff like this, unless it's, like, maybe the Snyder Cut would, just because it's a huge thing. I mean, Warner Bros. would never do it, because Justice League bombed at the box office, but, um, like... They can just they can release like if people have an outcry for a specific cut of a film that they want, then they can release it now through HBO Max. 
they can they can do this weird odd stuff and they can get more viewers like it's kind of like a cheat now for a streaming server for hbo max if people are like i want the iron cut yeah because we'll see we'll see how we'll see how it works out because yeah, hbo right. max still has i mean watch dropped. the, watch the subscriber yet, count but... boost after um uh the snyder cut comes out like it's it's going to be huge at that point like there were already people that were like that that um showed um screenshots of them buying the year-long subscription to hbo max like i did my part (laughs) you know because it's such a huge thing like that was the best move that hbo max could have ever done because like (laughs) they own so many people now Yeah, well, I feel like once HBO Max starts making content just for streaming, is it's gonna blow up again even more yeah. because plus they can make DC HBO content. Is HBO, so we'll like, see. Uh, I feel like Doom HBO season two is coming exactly. out exactly. So we have DC stuff. Yeah, it's coming out like next month. Yeah, it's coming out like June. Ooh, I gotta finish the first season so soon. I'm excited for that. Nice. Hopefully, if they hopefully they'll release Barry season three on there. Give me a reason to mm, yeah. to buy it. You know, watch Barry. Um, but I keep thinking everything on Silicon, uh, everything on HBO that I like mm-hmm. is either canceled or in delay right now. So I don't know. I haven't watched a lot of that stuff though. But anyways, off of HBO Max mm-hmm. real quick. So Snyder Cut. Um, well, very excited to see it. I think it'll be something pretty remarkable for film. Like, even if the movie itself isn't good, I think more so what it represents. And the fact that this is actually able to happen is still just mind-boggling to me. And, yeah, I'm really excited to watch it. Um, good job, Zack Snyder, for managing to get yourself back in this universe somehow. I mean, that's a pretty outstanding feat. Um and yeah, I'll definitely be there first day to watch it. I'm counting down. I don't know when it's coming out, but sometime in 2021. Yeah, uh, for me, it's like, like it's cool, like that it exists and everything, and it's gonna be a big deal. I de- I'm gonna be realistic as possible. Doubtful that I'll ever watch it. I still haven't even watched the theatrical release of Justice League yet. I own the movie, so the chances of me watching the much longer version is, is unlikely. So I, I don't know, but we'll see what happens. You know, I'm I'm still excited for it in general, just because I want to see what everyone says. You know, it's, it's going to be a big deal. It just makes 2021 that much better. 2021 is going to be a huge year with all yeah. these delays that are You're right. this year. It's it's going to be a very big. It's going to be like two but, years. Um, it's actually going to be two movie years into one. <laughs> Exactly. All right, sticking on to DCEU, like the D, um, what? What do you think they're gonna go next? Like, what is their next move that they um, have to make? To I think keep they're doing a good job, alive? honestly. I feel like what I want, like, there's a difference between what I want for the next move and what they're gonna do for the next move. Unfortunately, I think because of Joker's success, they're going to push things more in that direction. That's just what I think. Um, of like solo independent stories of uh, DC characters that typically wouldn't get solo, which is, which is good. That's fine. But like, I, I don't know if they're going to try to make them all R rated or not. 
I'm, or if they're going to be all DC villains. Like, I feel like, I don't know. It's the future's kind of uncertain, but um, what I would like to happen, what I, I would like for them to keep doing what they've been doing the past like year or so, where they just kind of release a ton of interesting, separate director driven projects that all feel distinct and separate from each other, despite being in the same universe. That's, that's what I'd like to happen, but I'm not a hundred percent sure in the next like three or four years, if that's going to be what happens. Cause like, we still have like Wonder Woman 84. We have um, Shazam two. We have, I don't even know, like DC wonder pets, I think is coming out at some point. So, Oh yeah, that's Suicide Squad. Is Suicide yeah, Squad? Yeah, that was finished uh, filming. So yeah, that one's still coming out next right. year. Right. Well, the thing for me is, is like, I don't know. It seems almost unlikely that the DCU is going to be around mm-hmm. um, the way in the state that it's in now in like five years. Just judging off, like Birds of Prey mm-hmm. was a movie that should have been huge, huge, you know, fail for the most part. I mean. It made like 200 mil worldwide, yeah. which is like, I mean, mm-hmm. we talked about Joker. Joker made over a billion as a narrated, you know, movie about a supervillain, the origin origin of a, of a serial killer psychopath. I mean, it's huge. It's also about the name. Huge, too, uh, right? like Joker had a ton of great. different publicity as well. Like it, it had so much more than Birds of Prey. Like Birds of Prey had a very long and confusing title that nobody wants to say out loud. Well, um, Birds of Prey. Yeah, but Birds of Prey also has, like, the yeah. name of Harley Quinn attached to it, which is kind of huge in terms of, like, she was a he- she blew yeah. up, like, the character blew up even more in terms of film after Suicide Squad. She was that one takeaway. Everyone was like, oh, I hated the movie, but at least I liked Harley mm-hmm. Quinn. So then but they like, finally the got their movie that nobody went to watch bomb. it, right? So like, It was like Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous <laughs> Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. And it's like, people are going to call it Birds. That's yeah. true. But, but that's also too, was right in front like, into comic books. People that they might have seen Suicide Squad, they weren't like they didn't hate it, but they were also like, "All right, that was okay." And then they see this, and then they're like, "Is that the same character?" And then they just keep going because they see Birds of Prey, and they're like, "Yeah, okay." <laughs> they don't think about it. Like if you look at Joker, it's like you clearly see Joker's face, and you're like, "Oh, that's that's a clown. Who is it? Joker? Oh, that must be like DC thing." And I mean, even outside of that. That's true, but then at the same time, don't you think people are like, there's mm. yeah, there's like you, well, there's like, like a lot going against Joker too. At the yeah. same time, of also because it's coming off a of Suicide Squad, with I mean, like one of the worst receptive Joker Jokers in terms of popularity to like rave critically. reviews before it came out. So it had that time to build up that sort of critic credibility, and yeah. Also, there was all the publicity about people like, don't go see this movie or you'll become the Joker. They're like, oh, no, people will call shootings because of this movie. And then it became this huge, giant news thing that was even outside of the film realm that everybody was talking about. And so it was like, you have to see Joker by that point. It was like a sort of movie that just everybody had to see at one point or another. It was like, this movie is going to be unmissable. Like the news tried to cancel the movie. Like they tried to just burn it into the ground, have be forgotten about. And by doing that, they ended up causing a huge firestorm and having just, and there were the memes and then there were like the, the marketing for it. And then there was just like everything surrounding the movie just helped boost its publicity and made people more and more and more excited to see it, whether they thought it would have been great, whether they thought it would have been bad, even the controversy, even the critic reception, which was like, people were like, I hate this movie or I love this movie. People are, it, nobody was in between, you know, it was, 
Yeah. But DCU still has, like, a, some, like a lot going against it in terms yeah. of, like, well, yeah. we talk about the Flash movie that gets pushed back every year. You know, the Green Lantern films yeah, literally have, I, like, no information on it, and then it was announced, like, six years ago that it was eventually going to happen. And, like, all these other projects that just never... No one says anything about that they announced like six years ago. Yeah, it doesn't seem to exist anymore. Slate. I mean, that's because of like change there. in um, DC leadership. Like they they shuffled through people. Like they got rid of um, Deborah Snyder, Zack Snyder, and they got in um, some other guy who helped with uh, Aquaman Shazam. And then they got rid of him. And then they have another guy who um, made uh, or who approved Joker and Birds of Prey. Actually, no, I think I think one guy, I think the one guy was the one who did Aquaman, Shazam, and Joker. Right. And there was another guy who did Birds of Prey, Wonder Woman 84, and he's like the current head now. Which, I mean, they're probably regretting firing the middle guy because, like, okay. Aquaman made a billion dollars, Joker made a billion dollars, Shazam made a huge profit. Like, that dude knows how to work DC. <laughs> yeah. Like, they're probably regretting firing him by this point because, man, did he make true. them some money. I think I think at the end of the day it's going to come down to a performance mm. of the upcoming films. Like, it's really hard, I guess, to know how well a sequel is going to do. So, like, we'll see yeah. Shazam. See if people are still interested in Shazam with their sequel. Wonder Woman with their sequel. And then it's also going to come down to how do people fare Ooh, with a movie like I am so excited the Batman. For that. That's coming I out. That's going to be huge. <laughs> Watching the Harley Quinn show. Watching the Harley Quinn show made me realize I know, I'm excited how much I love, I love Batman, the cat. His, like mythos, like made me re-realize because I haven't seen any Batman content. Like it's been such a long time since there's been any like huge major Batman content out there, and you know I I just missed it so much. <laughs> yeah, I gotta watch yeah. the Harley Quinn show on Amazon. I mean, before it's too late. It's good. It's like it looks interesting. The type, it's like the most and... seven out of ten show I've ever seen. Probably it's like the type of thing that you put on if you're like in the middle of doing something or you're doing or you're like working on something. You just kind of want to have background noise to laugh at every now and again. It's not like there's nothing in the show where I'm like, wow, that's spectacular. But it's also there's nothing like really bad in the show. It's just a seven out of ten show to me. Right. That's cool. I mean, yeah, I you're right. Be, it's still uh, an enjoyable seven out show. Seven is better it's than really like a unique three out of ten. And, and right? the voice I'm, acting I'm is watching. incredible in the show. Like the voice acting is great um, for every character. And uh, yeah, yeah there are I'm a lot saying. of things to really like about the show. Like yeah. there's nothing to hate about the show. I guess I should say like there's there's nothing I dislike honestly about the show. There's just nothing I particularly love either. Ooh, good news! I got the topics up so. <laughs> Okay, yeah. So Harley Quinn, I'm excited for that too. Um, um, what do we start with on this topic? Scoob is what we started with. Um, then we went to DC, I think, or no, we went to we went to HBO Max. Yeah, then we went to DC. Yeah, and where do we think the slate for the future? Okay, yeah. So you. I think me and you are actually on the same page in terms of like we want them to continue doing what they're doing with the DC universe, see where it goes, see if it improves, see what interesting things that can happen. But you said you think that they're going to probably continue to do more and more solo films. Yeah. And I mean, like, I'm kind of there with Todd you on Phillips, that. apparently, after Joker, he went to like the head of Warner Bros and he like was like, give me 
all give me the best villains in the uh, DC universe to make solo films out of. And he made like a bunch of ridiculous claims. And apparently like he was like laughed out, but he was given like, he was given, um he was given like two, a few characters that he could make films out of. So yeah, we're definitely going to see more. I, I, Oh yeah. I mean, I, I probably, he probably did get given stuff. That's mainly because I know mm. that he really apparently did not want to do a joke or two at all. I mean, that's interesting. They never like forced him yeah, to do I it anyway. I don't know what, so, what's going to happen with that. I do kind of wish though that they, like good for Todd Phillips for getting work and everything, but I do kind of wish they try a different director, like a different vision for this one, especially if they're going to force someone to do a sequel. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, he doesn't even want to do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, if he doesn't want to do it, just, you know, there's like, all right, we'll then give the chance to like have another. Uh, but also at the same time, I guess like, I mean, people are probably questioning yeah. the inconsistency of like just how they're handling it in general. Like, I feel like when you compare it to how Marvel handles yeah. it, DC just looks like a giant right. mess. And I think Warner Bros. I mean, just wants it's to pretty, clean that uh, mess as it's, much it's as they can right now. So honestly, like you can just do the exact same story just in modern times with Joaquin <laughs> Phoenix because the Joker's story is one that's not never consistent. It's one that's never told. So, like, do the same story, but touch, t- change it a bit and t- make it take place in a different time period, like, maybe a little bit further in the future. Like, that's how I'd do it, personally. I'd be like, everything's the same, pretty much. It's just, like, because the Joker, right. like it says, or do a completely different origin story in the in the 80s, like the uh, first Joker movie. So like I said, his, his story's never consistent. So, like, just do... Yeah. Right, but if it's a sequel, I would like to see like I don't know. I would like to see them build on the universe in a yeah. in a sense like what happens mm-hmm. after like I mean, Gotham went to like, hell over this Joker the problem thing. Is, though, is when you do that, like, you kind of require to set up the Batman mythos more, and it doesn't really work with this iteration of the character because Batman's going to be like well, yeah. twenty and the Joker's going to yeah. be like seventy or eighty. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's why I think yeah. it would work better for them if they went for the inconsistent round, as well as making the original Joker movie make a little bit more sense, too, because that was one of my biggest frustrations with it, personally, was that it was like, this is like this is really, really consistent for a Joker movie. You know, a character that's that's based on inconsistency. I don't know. That's how I saw it. Yeah, I get what you're saying. I mean, I'd be interested in seeing whatever they do just because, you know, I got to give them the chance after they proved mm, to me at least yeah. that, the, that they did a great job with the first one for, in my perspective. <laughs> so I have to give them a chance anyway. But um, moving on to the next topic, we can get right back on to the picture thing. I wanted to say, mm. I wanted to ask you, are you excited for Monsters at Work? And what does it say for well, future I'm a bit picture projects on it personally, going um, That's because... Billy Crystal and John Goodman are back. That's a plus. But apparently it's like only they're barely in it. Like it's about a whole new crew. Um, yeah. yeah. Exactly. That's I, what I'm confused about too. I'm really conflicted. Yeah, to like, I th- maybe it'll be interesting, but like, do I want to watch that? Um, I'll probably check out a few episodes of it just to see what's up. But it's not really high on my watch list. It's not something which sucks because I really – if it was a straight direct Monsters, Inc. sequel – that would be near the top of my watch list. I would be, yeah, I would be so excited for that. Oh but yeah, I have to watch it. it. It's kind of like, eh, you know, it's interesting. I guess. I mean, I'll watch it to see how it like ties in. It, they're probably, I, 
I mean, they could surprise me, but I have a strong feeling that they're not even going to bring up the ending of the of Monsters Inc., which is going to be really disappointing. Yeah, that would be so frustrating. My hope is that mm. like it's a short season. Like I mean, we've seen Mandalorian yeah. and, and High School Musical the series. Based off those, those are both short. Hopefully, it's around that many episodes. The length of episodes are like High School Musical, like you know, High Musical, like like twenty whatever minutes, like what you would expect from an animated show. And then I'll watch the whole thing, give it a chance. Chances are, if it's like this really big series, it's like really long, which is so unlikely. But if it is, and I obviously haven't done a lot of research on it just because, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, I got really upset when I found out it wasn't about Sully. So, but um, <laughs> chances are, um, with a little chance, if it is like this big bloated series that you really got to invest yourself in to watch, I'm just going to skip it and not bother with it for yeah, a while. I get that. Like that I said, that's just my mostly the same way. It's just kind of like, eh. <laughs> it's something that exists and you know, whatever. <laughs> it doesn't take away from the original monsters Inc. And it's not going to like ruin it or anything. So it's just like, if I don't like it, then I'll just leave it be. <laughs> exactly. Classic. Yeah, and to me, nothing can take away yeah. from those monsters in because you already know my feelings on that. But um, yeah, yeah, and I think I know your feelings. But I think we both love that movie. But um, but what does Monsters at Work for you say about Disney Plus in the direction they can go into making more unique and legitimate Pixar? Um, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, media. On their, I'm honestly on not too sure because I'll have to see the product before I make any judgments about what direction they're taking. But like, judging by a previous product, that's like, like let's say I'll use Lamp Life for an example, which was like this little short that they had about Bo Peep and her time in between the lamp, which was from Toy Story Four, which was really neat because it was like, okay, this is something that was actually kind of a plot hole in the in Toy Story 4. It was like, okay, um, how did she jump between multiple learners? So I don't even remember the exact specifics of it, but it was, it was somewhat of a plot hole, not a major one, but it was still there. And it was like, okay, well, here they're giving, up, they're giving us a chance to sort of fill in that gap, but it wasn't really anything. It was just like a four-minute short that was like, oh, look at all these quirky adventures with Bo Peep, but she like journeys between her different um, life with different children before she ends up at the store. And it's like, okay, that's interesting. I guess it's not, I don't know. It's not really something for me, but it's just, I don't know. I I feel like that's kind of going to be how they tackle their Pixar stuff. Like in terms of spinoffs and everything, they're just going to be like, here's something that's just fine. You know, that doesn't really add or detract anything. And it's just kind of a, another product to add to our sea of products. Yeah. My biggest worry is that like pretty much what you said, where it's like, it's just going to be used as like a way to create things that are in high demand of previous things. They don't actually want to like focus on and they're just going to throw it like together, throw it together and throw it on the app just because like if something mm-hmm. Pixar comes out I always want to watch it and I never want to be disappointed with it but I feel like that's a wave we're probably going to get here with Disney Plus in general because everything Disney Plus put out for yeah and Disney Plus is kind of Mandalorian, weak with their so. service like it's wearing down on people like everybody was excited to get it when it first came out and now yeah. it's like yeah you know lack of new content and new content itself not really being that outstanding kind of yeah made people dip from it 
Exactly. Well, the big thing is everything we've gotten for content for the most mm, part has right. just been, you know, Disney Channel stuff, basically, except like, except for the Mandalorian. Mandalorian is like uh, like the most high quality thing they've put out. The movies feel like straight mm. DVD movies that you'd expect from D- Disney in 2006, you know, like. Um, but with that being said, obviously, a big issue is just that people expected when they first went on for all these Marvel products to be ready for us. And we still mm. have, you know, a good amount of time before we have a full season of anything Marvel related on there. So I think oh, once yeah. we finally like one every of those, November people that people interested in get app, interested like, in Disney Plus, whatever ones. But... Yeah. Um, since we're, what is your, Ooh. what do you think is That's the best? I'm not counting Toy sequel. Story because Toy Story is kind of cheating. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Toy Story two or four we're not counting or Toy Story three, two. I'd say we're not counting because that's cheating. To say the Toy Story movies. Yeah. Okay. All right. Fine. Yeah. We won't count the Toy Story um, series because yes, that is super easy because it's going to be count. Toy Story two then four an easy three, probably. Um, I'm trying to think like what are all the sequels? Um, there's Cars two. There's Monsters University. Yeah, Cars three, Finding Cars Dory, two, Incredibles three. two. Um, I think, is that it? Or are there, let me look that up real quick, actually. <laughs> let me just see what, what's, what's um, out there because sequels, I don't want to say anything um, forgetting. Um, cause my answer is probably going to be Monsters University if I can't find anything else. Yeah, based off those ones, I'm going to have to go at Monsters University, which is why... See, like, that's the thing, right? We, I, I, whenever I think of mm-hmm. the argument that Pixar should yeah. make more original content, I always think of the Toy Story series. Like, maybe they should make more original content, but if they did only original content, we wouldn't have this incredible, phenomenal series. But then you have all the mediocre and not as good things that have come from the Pixar sequels where you can kind of understand people's perspective, right? Like, um, like I, I wouldn't count mm. Finding Dory, Incredible, uh, Incredibles 2, or Cars 2, well, or even Monsters see, University where Monsters being very University, memorable in any which, aspect. It'd be so. close between Monsters University and Incredibles 2. Um, where Monsters University wins for me is in the ending. It's in the overall message it tells. I think it tells a really, really great and different message. I just think that the rest of the movie is just kind of your average kid's movie. And it's disappointing because there are really good moments, especially towards the end. Like the final act of the movie is great, but the rest of it is just average. It's not really anything quite great, which is happens to be a problem with like that director's other Pixar movie onward, which we've already talked about. But like, I don't know. I just find that to be a common problem with this stuff is he makes really great third acts, but like the first two aren't really anything special to me, at least. Right. Yeah. I mean, I get, I agree with what you said about monster university, like monster university mm-hmm. has some great moments, but you know, it's kind of diluted with the just min- generic mediocre story of it all. But with that being said, mm. uh, Monster University wouldn't be my favorite. My favorite would have to be Cars 3 because I think Cars 3 is just – it resonates yeah. more with me than the rest of the sequels. And I, I really enjoyed Cars 3. And we're just going to 
And I wish Curse 2 yeah, didn't Curse exist. Yeah, Curse 3 just, just got rid of Curse, Curse 2. Like, Curse didn't even, Curse I think they might have acknowledged it in like one but, um, line, and that's it. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. But like, literally like, with Curse 3, it just, you feel like the stakes are a little bit higher, you know, like, it's like this whole back to the basics thing that you expect from... You, like and it fits well with like the I guess the theme of like sporting like right like it's professional racing and in every professional sport uh, for some reason every movie about a yeah. professional professional sport has a back to the basics kind of thing where it's like oh we had to go back to where we started so we're good again you know but like Cars 3 does it in a way that it doesn't feel boring or bland or like you've seen it a million times you know it's kind of more refreshing i remember watching it for the first time awesome. and loving it then and I'd watching it a second time and loving second, it again like i said so, before be incredibles yeah, too for me personally three. just because i love i don't know that might be better than monsters university thinking about it just because i love brad bird so much and i love his style and just even if the movie itself isn't particularly outstanding or anything i think it has a lot of really good ideas in it and it's just <laughs> It has a lot that's really good about it. It just also has a kind of dull story, especially compared to the first one, which is a shame because everything about it's really great. Like the animation is beautiful, the character designs, right. Brad Bird is, is his stuff is outstanding. Um, like the meta commentary on yeah. superhero culture and sort of in many ways um, high tech culture, like like uh, uh, billionaire culture and stuff like that. And how we sort of hold these people up to a higher standard when they're just like us is very fascinating as well. And I think it has a lot of really interesting, mature ideas, but it's definitely the most mature out of all the Pixar sequels. But I think that it just, sadly, the story itself ends up going into generic kitty pair by the end, which is really disappointing. Right. Like, I can agree that there's some good moments in terms of yeah Incredibles 2 but I think you know that I just did, I didn't like the movie that much I just found it really like I don't know there's something about it that was bland it literally never at one moment was able to pull me in which I found really shocking even though there were some mm -hmm. great scenes that I was like oh that was really good I wish the rest of the movie was like that but it just yeah. wasn't and the same thing happened with kylie when we watched, I mean, watched it together we both just didn't like it from start yeah. to finish i just don't know what it is about I mean, it for me personally I never found I'd it interesting to say that's for the me best one from thinking yeah. about it now just because it's like the only pixar movie i own on blu-ray for some reason and yeah i think that's because after our, it took so long oh, really? to come out after it like it was like released in june and it came on blu-ray in like november which is like a really long time to wait for it um and I was just, I really wanted to watch it again. And I've watched it the most out of all the Pixar sequels. Like Cars 3, I've seen one. I've not counting Toy Story, of course. Cars 3, I've seen once. Finding Dory, I've seen once. Monsters University, I've seen maybe like two times, maybe three. Um, whatever other ones there are outside of Toy Story. The Incredibles 2, though, I've probably seen like four or five times, if I'm being honest, just with other people and everything. It's just, I don't know. It's just a movie I can watch. Like, it's not something that really bothers me to put on see you know mm. i really need to watch it again because i've only watched it that one time in the theater and i and I, I don't know i think if i give it another chance maybe i'll like it more but 
Um, Cars 3, I guess, is like that for me in terms of sequels, right? Because I only watched Findory the one time. I yeah. watched University twice. I watched Cars 3 a couple times. And then, yeah, I've only watched Incredibles 2 once. But, um, yeah, uh, for me, Cars 3, it just resonates mm. more with me. And I felt that it had, like, like a lot of strong elements to it that made it really entertaining. Yeah. And uh, I get much that. Better, much bigger I still haven't improvement seen Cars 2, so I can't, I can't compare. <laughs> yeah. I know, I've been avoiding it forever. I don't think I'm ever going to watch it, because <laughs> I have no away. reason to. Stay away. Yeah, yeah. Just like the Avengers. Yeah, I know, it's just this weird thing that I'm just Which like... Which doesn't make yeah, any you know, sense I'll still to this day. keep myself from ever watching the Avengers. It's just, I don't know, it's become tradition by this point. Even though I've seen all the other Avengers movies. <laughs> Yeah, sure. Yeah. All right. Let's take a quick break. Hey. Hello. We're back just like that. So to recap the first half, we talked about some Pixar's topics, like what's our favorite sequel. We talked about HBO Max, the legendary Snyder Cut finally being released, Um, where we see DC in the future in terms of the extended universe and their solo films. And we talked about some specific movies as well. And we talked about Scoob, of course. All right. So now we're going to move on to, we're sticking to the Pixar topic before we go back to the DC stuff. Um, What makes Pixar so special compared to its competitors? What do you think? Um, just the way that they tell stories. Like, if we're talking about old Pixar, compared to, let's say, something like DreamWorks, um, which is, like, their biggest, or was their biggest competitor at the time. I think it's more like Illumination now. But, like, even with Illumination, it's it it's really comes down to just how they tell stories. They, they tell them in a way that children can enjoy them, but there's so much more for the adult audience, too. Like, look at something like WALL-E, which is, at its heart, a story about like a robot and uh, a robot falling in love and environmentalism, but manages to strike a chord with everyone. Like everyone can enjoy that film on an almost equal level. And it's outstanding. I don't know how they do it, honestly, like the way that they they're able to tell stories that resonate with everyone equally. It's fascinating. Cause even like DreamWorks can't, do that for the most part like they have their exceptions you know like the kung fu panda movies the uh hat trader dragon movies the um prince egypt stuff like that manages to reach all audiences but pixar at least in their golden age they did it with every single film that came out and i think that's really what puts them ahead of the curve was that they were able to find that sort of perfect storytelling tactic tactic that everyone where everyone can enjoy their movies yeah i agree with that completely and i think that um i don't know it's like when i watch a a pixar movie i always feel completely connected to it and there's always that personal element to that movie that i just don't feel with most animated films and yeah like you said like the the perfect mix of being able to obviously entertain children while being complex and and um having a lot deeper meanings for any age, you know, that's interested in that or able to take away something from those movies. It doesn't matter how old you are. You learn something when you watch a Pixar movie for the most part. I mean, there's obviously some that are like, eh, not so much, but um, when we're talking about the stretch of like 
Monsters Inc. to you know whenever. Uh, mm. That's just how it was. Or even like modern movies like Coco or Inside Out too, to a, a certain extent. Yeah, you're right, and that's really what the best Pixar films of this last decade managed to figure out is being able to tell because like something like Monsters University, which still is still a good movie, it leans more towards the kiddie side of things. And then at the final act, it leans more towards the adult side of things. It doesn't really find that happy medium between films, but yeah, something like Coco, something like inside out movies like that, they've managed to find both sides and find something that everyone can enjoy like golden Pixar. Yeah, exactly. It's like, um, and it's just a consistent basis as well. You know, there's very few studios in general that are consistently able to make something of higher quality that so many people can watch and enjoy and talk about um, consistently like that. Even though, like, obviously, like, technically, when you break it down, like, every studio can make it consistently make, like, one great film a year but when we're talking about everything some films you know pile out like 10 15 movies a year pixar is really smart with how they release their movies and and they don't um release too much at once and everything is quality over quantity with them and i think that really works to their advantage as well i say that as a year they release two pixar movies in one yeah um I get that. I mean, with the with the with the um, years that they usually release two Pixar movies in one year, one ends up being a weaker film um, because I feel like they're splitting their talents between the two. And, and when they get more time to focus on making just one film and having just one film released a year, I think it ends up being a lot better um, because they they've always sort of implemented well for the most part. I mean, like. In their golden age, I think it was more like a film every year and a half or something like that, which right. it takes about three years to make an animated film. Um, so, like, they have a lot of time before that to make, to uh, sort of touch on the story. But, like, it's um, when they have one crew, they're focused on that one story. You know, when when they're just working on one film... They have all their time and all their dedication put into crafting that the best way that they can. And I feel like that's why when you get two Pixar films released in a year, they have to, it's because they have to split their team and it ends up, one ends up being inevitably weaker than the other because people are more focused, more dedicated on one story than the other. Yeah, I agree with that for sure. And, um, yeah. But yeah, there's just there's I think there's a lot like that we you we could go down in terms of the road of what makes Pixar so different from a lot of other companies and just from what we've seen. But yeah, I think we covered like the main things that makes Pixar so special. Um, piggy banking off of what we thought was the best Pixar sequel, I gotta ask the opposite now. What do you think is the worst Pixar sequel? Um, from what I've seen, Finding Dory. Yeah, I think, um, well, I have to go with Cars 2, obviously. Yeah, because you've seen that. <laughs> yeah. I was about to say Finding Dory, but then I was like, oh, Cars 2 exists. Yeah, Finding Dory is just, 
it's too absurd for me compared like it's, it's an anime kids movie but like finding nemo i never felt like tried to be an anime kids movie despite being one like it, it it was a film for all ages it was a film that everybody could watch and enjoy and was essentially timeless and finding dory just has like all of these weird references in it and it's just it feels so despite being by the same director it still feels it feels so separate from finding nemo it doesn't feel like a connected sequel and it throws me off yeah but yeah i agree with that like when it comes to finding dory i get like the idea of it and like the ideas are trying to present and the things are trying to do i just don't think that it ends up tying everything together in a way where it feels like a good movie or that you're really engaged into it and i think that finding dory to, to for a movie like finding dory to be good it has to be similar in finding nemo where when you watch finding nemo your eyes are on that screen 24 7 you care about what's going on and compared to finding dory i think i just cared a lot less um and, and i think uh more things that were going on around the story were just a little i guess kind of ridiculous at times and just kind of mm-hmm. Um, just kind of throws it off as well, and, and it, it doesn't have as strong of a coherent story as Finding Nemo did. I find so yeah. there's a lot that goes into why I, I just didn't like Finding Dory. And I mean, things are also like less intense in Finding Dory. If that makes any sense. So, like, if you think about it, like the opening of Finding Nemo, clearly sets up stakes. It sets up that this is a real world where people live and be, or where fish live and fish can die. And, you know, the cycle of life is a thing that happens. We you see that in the opening when with Marlon and his wife, where his my, wife gets eaten and all of the eggs die except one. It's like, that's a really intense and dark opening, but it, it sets up the stakes well for both kids and adults. And Finding Dory, I barely even remember the opening to that movie. It's something like he's, she's with, she's a little kid and the she's with her family. Fish, right? I don't even remember. I think she's with her family and then they go missing and it's like oh now she has to find oh, them and then yeah. she has to find herself or whatever um it's an interesting story when you think about it like finding dory having to find herself while also finding her parents but there's just a severe lack of stakes or anything really interesting in the film for me to connect with like i mean and, and then at the ending like the ending of finding nemo is um I haven't seen either of these films in years, but I can remember the ending of Finding Nemo well, which is like um, Nemo and Dory are, or the climax of that, which like Nemo and Dory are stuck in a fishnet and they have to try to escape with the help of Marlon, who has to get over his fears that he's had throughout the entire movie. Um, It's tense, it's gripping, it's engaging. You know that there's real stakes because of the opening of the film. And you know that this is the only child that Marlon has and you feel for him. But the ending of Finding Dory is like, I barely even, it's so fuzzy in my mind. It's like, they're like trying to drive to a certain location. Like the octopus Hank is like driving the truck and Dory's there too. And they're like interacting with the human world. It's so weird and off-putting. And it's like, this is so cartoonish and over the top. And it's not something that really works in finding Nemo's established world. It just feels something like something in a generic anime kids movie. Yeah, I completely agree with that. It's just like, yeah, like it feels like a really generic animated film and everything just feels like, I don't know, it just doesn't feel like it should, ex- like has a reason to exist. And with that being said, um, the reason why Cars 2 is my least favorite Pixar film is like, I don't know what it is about Cars 2, but I remember thinking that it was 
uh, better than what everyone else thought. And I was like, I don't know why this movie has so much hate. So then when I rewatched it, I was basically out of it after the first five <laughs> minutes because of how ridiculous the first five minutes is. And then the rest of the movie is just more and more and more ridiculous. And we talk about how Finding Dory is cartoonish. It feels like a, ger- a generic animated kids film. But that's exactly what Cars 2 is. Mm-hmm. You know, like It just is a generic animated kids movie that exists because the first one did good and they know they can make more money off it. And um, I know it's like a, um, a blade, uh, uh, like a blank, I don't know, like a, a state, like it's a statement that, you know, I shouldn't make just because I don't know the actual intentions, but I mean, just watch me for yourself and you'll realize that, you go, you go to the first one. It's like this really emotional, like awakening of a character who mm-hmm. goes through, pain and whatever who's never really experienced pain and and hard work or whatever like and has to kind of ends up like reshaping himself in terms of like what he believes in and and how he uh perceives life and then you go to the second movie and it's a bunch of fucking spies doing a bunch of weird stuff doing who knows what for no for what reason and it's completely different and it's not for a good reason. It should be. It's like, especially for a trilogy, because it does such a, like I said, like Cars 2 shouldn't exist. It should just be Cars and Cars 3, because Cars 3 actually felt like a sequel. Cars 2 just feels like it exists in the same way we we're talking about Scoob, where it's like a movie that just with popular characters, that's basically what Cars 2 mm. was. Yeah, I get that. And from what I've seen and heard about Cars 2, that definitely feels like what it is. Um, which is, I mean, I get why they made it, you know, because Cars sells a lot of money in merchandise and Pixar makes a lot of money. And I guess that's not a bad thing because it gives them the opportunity to fund original projects. But yeah, I get why in their lineup of films, it's really disappointing that they didn't try at least a little harder to make it good. You know, especially when they did that with the other Cars movies. Yeah, exactly. It's just like, it's like there's so much you can do with cars because especially since essentially cars is the most um mature film and um straightforwardly i guess it's like it's very obviously meant to connect to an older audience because it's literally about you know people that like the movies are pretty much about like this character who thinks uh they've been doing something for so long and maybe they're not good enough at it and they want to become better or they want to expand their worldview or whatever like kids are never going to understand the uh, the real meaning of cars because why would they even think like that when they're kids and uh, but parents like i i think more parents probably like the first car movie cars movie than kids did Mm. because i didn't know a lot of like car for some reason cars like i remember kids not liking cars obviously as much as like toy story monsters inc but I, i knew my parents liked the movie Cars, and I knew other parents liked the movie Cars. Like, Cars is one of those movies that resonates with you. The older you get, the more it resonates with you. Same with Cars 3, because it follows that more mature path. And then you have Cars 2, which is literally the exact opposite of that. Yeah, so, I get that. Yeah. I don't know, I haven't seen Cars in ages. I saw Cars 3 back when it came out. But, yeah, the original Cars I probably haven't seen since, like, 2012, 2013, maybe. Dang. Yeah. It's been a minute since I've seen you it. Watch it. Yeah, I should watch it some more. Ratatouille is the first one on my list to rewatch, though, because I love that movie. I haven't seen that. In- I know. Oh, I did this. I started a Pixar rewatch marathon, mm-hmm. and Cars was one of the first ones I watched just because I didn't remember much yeah. about it. And I remember 
and I was like, do I really like, um, I'm, and I was like, oh, I don't know if I like this movie or not. I need to watch it again. So, well, what's up next for me? I'm probably going to watch Wally, mm. then Ratatouille, then Up, and then maybe Inside Out. Yeah. Just because, you know, I don't like Inside Out as much as everyone else likes Inside Out. But, and I also want to rewatch Coco. But I just want to see Soul. I'm really disappointed Soul has to come out. Yeah. I know, I need to see Soul. I mean, like, you know, it's crazy because I keep putting off Onward and I could easily watch it, but I don't know what it is about Onward, but the closer it got to release, the less I wanted I to watch that. it for some reason. But Soul, I'm going to watch that instantly no matter what. Like, it's one of those movies for me that I know I'm going to watch right when it comes out. Just like I did with Scoob, just like I did with The Marriage Story last year or The Irishman mm. or any other movie. The moment Soul comes out, I'm going to watch it, yeah. right? So it needs to hurry up and come out so I can watch some new Pixar yeah, stuff. Yeah, I'm so excited for it. I, this year was shaping up to be like a really great year for animation. And it's really kind of disappointing that we we're stuck with like Trolls World Tour and Scoop. You know, no offense to those, but like, it's just, <laughs> I know. It's just disappointing that that's those, those are the ones that have come out. You know. This year was shaping up to be great, period. And we're going to be stuck with the best movie that came out this year that like in terms of like with everyone mainly agreeing mm-hmm. is going to be invisible <laughs> man. Like mo- in terms of everyone liked it and that movie's good, but it's like, is it best movie of the year? Good to me. It's not best year of the movie. Like, like if it was in any other year, it wouldn't even be top, you know, seven for me. But, yeah. I mean, um, yeah. Right now it's sitting at number three. You yeah, know, I'm looking at the animated films that were supposed to come out this year. It's like we had soul. You know, which obviously looked incredible. We have Connected, yeah. which I mean, Into the Spider-Verse people. Great. Um, we have um, The Willoughby's, which I think is still coming out on Netflix. Which I was already it's already out. out. And I haven't seen it. Yeah, it no, wasn't okay. that good. <laughs> and by that good, I mean it was pretty pretty okay. bad. <laughs> well, it's really just a kid's yeah. movie. Like, it's just for kids. I mean, we have... So, um, with some mature yeah. themes, I guess. But it wasn't we have, like, really Onward, yourself, Trolls World Tour, <laughs> Scoob. The third SpongeBob movie. Um, so we have, uh, yeah, no, we have um, Connected by the Spider Verse guys. We have uh, Soul. We have the third SpongeBob movie. And then we have like Scoop, Trolls World Tour, and Onward for like notable anime movies. Um, which I mean, God. what? Here, I'm gonna end this and then we'll start back up in a second because obviously it's gonna have yeah, no problem. Right. Oh, oh, you should oh, start okay. with we just jump into the next topic, or yeah, we might as well just go to the next topic anyway. The next topic. It's kind of like a debate topic. We were supposed to have more people here, but um, it's just us. Um, we're going to talk about what we each think is the best Pixar movie and why. So starting with you, what do you think is the best Pixar film? Um, my personal favorite would be probably – oh, geez. Let me think about this. That's actually really tough. Maybe The Incredibles, Ratatouille, 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 The Incredibles, or uh, Toy Story 2. All right, all right. I mean, for me, it's like, it's really between Cars, Monsters, Inc., and Toy Story 3, probably, 
or Toy Story 4 even. But um, to really narrow it down to one, I'd probably give the edge to Toy Story 3 just for everything it represents. Mm, I get that. But yeah, what makes Ratatouille your, uh, one of your favorites or your favorite? Um, mostly because of the story, well, which is like, you know, Pixar's big thing in general. Um, I love the story of Ratatouille. I think the critic sums it up the best at the end of the movie, or around the end of the movie, when he says... Not everybody can be a great artist, but a great artist can come from anywhere. anywhere. And I think that it's just, just a, such a heartfelt film. It's such a personal film to Brad Bird. And like I said, I already, I'm a Brad Bird stan. Like, I love Brad Bird so much. Like, he's just absolutely incredible. Probably my favorite animator um, or guy working in animation. I mean, whatever you call his position. Um, just everything he does is great. And even like Incredibles 2. Let's just say I'm not like a... I don't think has a great story or anything. I still love so much because it's Brad Bird. Um, and I think this is probably his best movie, which is saying a lot, even though he's only made like four animated movies, which is really disappointing. Um, I think Ratatouille is probably, and it's beautiful. Like it's just, it says so many gorgeous, vibrant colors to it. And like I said, the story at the heart is just such a great Pixar story. Like it's, it's just quintessential Pixar. Yeah, I really need to watch Ratatouille. I haven't seen it in so long. Like, yeah, I might rewatch tonight actually after that. But for me, the reason why I think I went with Toy Story three is because um, like everything we've been talking about in terms of Pixar, it's like mm. you know this movie that works for kids and for adults, and you know the story. And I feel like Toy Story three is like the prime example of a film that's meant for everyone to come together and, and take something different away from it. And there's so much that it has to say and you don't, um, and kids can love it because, you know, it's like this fun story about toys and, you know, you have these, um, all these scenes like a party scene and, you know, you get like the, the Ken doll and everything and all these things that make, the kids, you know, the kids will laugh at and, and will enjoy it. But then you have, like, these really strong themes and these deeper meanings about, like, moving on from uh, maybe people that were really important to you, but you need to move on from to go to the next stage of life and um, being able to, um, you know, figure out what that next step is and be willing to open yourself up to something new. And that's what Toy Story 3 Timmy represented. Um, and I think that be because they were able to pull it off in a way that's so incredible that um, it has to be my favorite Pixar film. Okay. Well, that, that definitely makes sense. I really, I still really, really love Toy Story 3. I mean, all the Toy Story films are great. They're all incredible. Um, and yeah, I definitely think what it sort of represents in Pixar's filmography and as a sequel to Toy Story, I think that, yeah, I think, I think it makes a lot of sense that it'd be your favorite. And I completely understand. Right. And I, and Ratatouille, it's like, I remember loving you when I was a kid, but I need to rewatch it because it sounds so good. Every time I hear someone talk about Ratatouille, I'm like, damn, I'm watch this movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No one talks about Ratatouille in a negative way. Everyone talks about it in this passionate way. Like it's the greatest thing ever. <laughs> it's pretty like, great. I love it. 
I gotta check that out. But with that being said, that's the end of some Pixar topics for now, just because it's our second Pixar um, podcast, and we've said a lot about Pixar. We're gonna go back to DC, and we're gonna talk about something that I think we haven't had the chance. Obviously, we haven't had the chance to talk about first. What is, in your opinion, the best DC extended universe? Okay. They haven't made a lot, obviously, but which one would you say is the one that you like the most? Um, why? Shazam. <laughs> Not really a competition, honestly. <laughs> if I'm being honest, it's Shazam. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So why Shazam over the rest? I mean, comparatively, what makes Shazam stand out to you? Compared to the rest of DCU, it's just the most fun, lighthearted. Um, it has an interesting story at its core, and it's based on a character I absolutely love, and they did him to perfection. And it's a story I can watch again and again. It doesn't take itself too seriously, and it just overall works really, really well as a film. It feels a lot like a classic Amblin film, or maybe in, in, in it feels kind of like a spiritual successor to even the Raimi films, the Raimi Spider-Man films, um, in a sense, in that it's it's silly, but it knows it is, and it has fun with it. And I think that's something that the DC movies, like, obviously not all of them have to be really silly, but, like, I think it's something that they're, a core component that they're missing is to at least give themselves, of themselves a bit of lightheartedness, like genuine lightheartedness. And that's another thing is that the story feels genuine. Yeah, that's another. That's something I can't really give the other DCU movies for the most part, except like uh, maybe Birds of Prey, and you know, to some extent, Aquaman. Maybe is that they they don't really feel genuine for the most part. Um, yeah, I'm just I'm glad Shazam feels genuine, <laughs> and and I feel like that's the best aspect of the movie, and that's why really really why it works for me. Yeah, I mean, I have these pretty much exact same opinion in terms of my thoughts on Shazam. Like, it's this beautiful film that manages to balance, like, this darkness, yet also have, like, you said, like, this lightheartedness that makes it, like, really fun to watch. And it's genuine, and it kind of feels like a realistic portrayal of what would happen if, like, this actually happened to a person. And it's also really uh, able to be faithful to its original source material in terms of, like, what you'd expect. Uh, like these characters to act like in a film and um there's a lot going for shazam in terms of like just how well it was made compared to most of the dcu but i have a hard time choosing between shazam and birds of prey because i think birds of prey also kind of delivers a lot of the similarities um that shazam was able to nail like the lightheartedness and the goofiness and the brightness of birds of prey mm-hmm. like it feels like a comic book movie should feel like in my opinion like you, you think of a comic book movie you think of this big bright you know action-packed film but that also has like you know a, a story that's interesting and great characters that can keep you interested and for me birds of prey was able to nail all of that so um i think i'd have to give it to birds of prey i just love the colors the sound the soundtrack was fantastic and um I obviously love the acting, and, I, and Margaret Robbie is Harley Quinn. To me, this was like her peak performance as Harley Quinn in terms of compared to it in Suicide Squad. And, like, the goofiness and the silliness is the big thing, right? Like, it was, like, refreshing to have um, that goofiness, that silliness, but also being able to take itself seriously when it needed to and have that 
interesting storyline there and have like things actually still hap- happening and not abandon um, being a real film yeah. in, in the um, sense. So that was Birds of Prey, right? Yeah. I don't know. I wasn't a huge fan of Birds yeah. of Prey personally, but I definitely see where you're coming at with that. Um, Birds of Prey definitely feels very unique. It feels very different. It didn't connect with me very much, but yeah, I completely see what you're saying there. And I can, I can completely understand that because it is a very unique, a very different film that does a lot of things right. Right. And yeah, I mean, I think that if we, um, <clears throat> in terms of personal connection, like obviously I'd, I'd have to give it to Shazam just because Shazam in a way kind of represents like most comic book fans in general, like, you know, like, I'm, like if I was that age and I was given that opportunity, like I would do that same stuff, like, you know, like the training and like videotaping, like the powers and everything. And like, oh, there's so many little moments like that that is like I can see myself as a kid in. And obviously in Birds of Prey, I don't have those moments. Cause Birds of Prey is a lot mm. bigger, a lot more like far out there um, than Shazam in that sense. But um, yeah, like I said, it's really yeah. hard for me because I think both of them are really great. <clears throat> I don't think any other DCU movie mm-hmm. comes close to either one of them, personally. But, um, yeah, I can see why you would pick Shazam, but for me, it's yeah, Scotty Bird's Prey. Maybe because it's a little fresh on my mind still. That might be the real reason. <laughs> yeah, me too. Gotta rewatch Shazam. Okay. But, yeah. Um, next topic is, which DC hero or villain mm-hmm. would you like to see get a solo um, film next? For a hero? Oof. That's tough. Um, Green Lantern. <laughs> Actually, it's not that tough when I really think about it. Yeah, yeah I mean, come on, he's dang such a great it. That's, that's my answer. Time to shine. He is. There's such a great character, and there's so much you can do yeah, with right. Green Lantern lore. Like so much that like it can literally have its own universe outside of the yeah. DCU. Essentially, like, there's just so much I, can I love do Green with Lantern that, with yeah, everything around him. But disappointing. Oh my goodness. I know, me too. One of the few DC comics I used to actually uh, enjoy uh, reading. DC comics. Have, I wasn't a big DC they, fan. They're the you know, was... for me, personally. Um, <laughs> I know, but I was always I drawn that. to Marvel because they had that Black Panther and they <laughs> yeah, had right. Daredevil, and that was pretty yeah, much the only Spider-Man real reason. Daredevil but... <laughs> for me, for the two. But, like, nah. DC had Alan Moore, which was a huge W for me. Like I just Alan Moore is probably the best. Well, he's he's I don't know if he's the best. Right. But he's my favorite writer in comic books. So, and DC has him. So, <laughs> I don't think he's ever written anything for Marvel. So, like you know, right. it attracts me more to DC. Um, yeah. So, uh, for villain, oof. Um. I don't know, because, like, the thing is, a lot of villains, most villains in DC, Marvel, just comic books in general, are really, really connected to their hero. Like, you can't really have it a solo origin story for them without right. the hero, because they end up being, they're not really a main character unless you count, like, an anti-hero or something, because they more so serve to yeah. be an extended addition to that hero, you know? Um, cause I'd say like, I'd be like, oh yeah, Black Manta, that'd be awesome. But then I think about his connection to Aquaman and that lore and everything in the comics and how interesting that is. It's not necessarily, cause Black Manta is a great character, but he doesn't work as well 
unless he's paired up with Aquaman, which is kind of funny because Aquaman's like the joke of the superhero universe, but like Black Man is so good, he kind of makes Aquaman right. look cool by comparison. Um, I don't know. I'd probably say something ridiculous, like Kite Man or Calendar Man or Condiment Man, just because I'd like to see how they take something as ridiculous as that. And they, I'd like to see just like a really goofy, silly villain origin story about a villain trying to become the best villain, you know, like, like Condiment King trying to become the best villain in Gotham or something. That would be really funny. Polka Dot Man. I don't know. Maybe I'd like to, yeah, like one of the D-list heroes, you know, one of the villains, one of the like bottom of the barrel, almost forgotten, yeah. completely forgotten about villains of the DC universe I'd like to see get their own solo origin story that's just kind of like a goofy comedy or something like that yeah that would be cool I'm pretty much on the same page as you I guess because like there's nothing that pops out to me as like a DC villain that I would be like oh I need a solo film of them or I'm like really interested in seeing how they carry a movie on their own or anything like that not that not because I don't like any DC villains just because you know it's just I just don't I just don't see it. So we're going to move on to the next. I really Mm. can't think of anything. Um, What's the, all right. Over the last, I would say decade, really, we've seen a huge difference in the critical acclaim and the audience love for DC shows compared to DC films. What do you think is the big separation between the quality of the shows and the quality of the films and the ideas and the things that make the shows so much more beloved than the movies? Okay. Oh no, the shows in general. Are the CW like Flash, ones that kind of been getting a lot of heat. The the one um lately Doom Patrol. For the most part. Like they have been getting a lot of love, but like they're more mixed in the live yeah. action department than they are like at least for the CW stuff than the anime. The anime stuff is like super beloved, but I don't know. Yeah, but when I always think Yeah, but even then if you want to like go away from the CW right. stuff, people adore Swamp Doom thing, Patrol. People I love... <laughs> I mean, I've um, only seen like, one episode. A lot of the non... Yeah, oh. exactly. Like, a lot of the non Titans. <laughs> but, uh, uh, but that's another yeah. story right there. But uh, I don't know. I think, I think it's just because DC in general has just, like, they've had more time, I guess. Oh. Not really. I don't know. I, guess, I was going to say they have more had more time to perfect the sort of... Uh, TV series, television series stuff, but yeah, the movies have been going on about as long as the TV shows, so I guess that's not really true, but um, right. Because hmm. like, even if you compare the DC shows in terms of popularity to the Marvel shows in popularity, it's like, aside from basically yeah. Luke Cage, Daredevil, and Jessica Jones. Yeah, I think it's because DC's well, like running circles around the television. One, DC ad- makes aspect. way more shows than Marvel does, and two because DC, uh, DC characters. Well, I mean, comic book characters in general, but especially DC characters work better when they're extended over the course of long like epi- episodes, like an episodic format where the characters can grow and they can change and they can become more uh, fleshed out and developed characters than in movies because in movies you only have that one movie unless you get like a series or something or you only have like one two maybe three movies to make the character that character you know in a tv show you have a season to make i mean you have season multiple seasons who knows how many seasons to make that character who they are like i mean you look at young justice that wouldn't have worked as a movie because they take their good time over the course of one season to 
develop the young justice characters into who they are. And they do that for each season, I guess. I mean, I haven't even seen all season two, but like from what I know, they do that each season. They take the characters and they develop them slowly over the course of the season. They give them trials and tribulations and all of these things that build them up and make them become the characters that they are in the comics, at least. So it's like, I feel like they've nailed that sort of, um, uh, the sort of characterization over the course of uh, an episodic format where Marvel's still kind of figuring out, like Marvel obviously has like Daredevil, you know, like you said before, Daredevil, Luke Cage, Jessica Jones, where they shown that they know how to do it, but they haven't experimented as much as DC because I mean, DC's experimented a lot with their shows. Like young justice is a perfect example. Um, Batman beyond uh, all the justice league spinoffs, like, even something like Teen Titans Go. There's just so many different forms of experimentation. In the Arrowverse, um, Legends of Tomorrow. Like, you know, there's just, they're always trying something new with their characters and their vast library. Yeah, I agree for sure. Like, and it's just so weird to me because it's like, um, people talk about how the new Marvel shows are going to be so much more popular than everything else because they connect to the movies and people forget every other, for the most part, most of the Marvel live action shows that exist already, they already do connect to the MCU yeah. and they're still not, you know, as popular as you'd expect. So it's like, I mean, it's, just, it's always I've, been, you know, something that's like weird. Yeah. It's like how well the DC I mean, has been I able think to capture an audience be for more television shows. Because one, they're on Disney plus where everybody can access them. And two, they actually have like the big budget actors from the movies. Well, Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, obviously, we'll be more. Yeah. Way more popular than like Agents of Shield. We're just yeah, and I and you like have to like actually sound actively no seek it out too. if you want to watch it. People like, like that too. Wandavision and stuff. You can just be scrolling through and be like, oh, there's yeah. the show. Let's watch it. You know. Yeah, I think yeah. yeah. Obviously, availability plays a huge part in it as well. So. But, yeah, since we're on the uh, topic of TV series, have you started um, any new TV series? I mean, series since our last TV show podcast? Season 2 premiered since the last podcast. Um, there's only been, like, two or three episodes released of that. I mean, they've all been great. Uh, okay. It's been a lot more humor-focused than... I don't, I don't know. Maybe I'm just getting more used to the weirdness, and I'm starting to see the humor more, because it's always been, like, a, a humorous show. But, like, also really, really dark. And it... I don't know. It, it seems a bit more humorous this season, but... I certainly don't mind it because it's, it's really funny. But uh, um, and I, we already talked about the Harley Quinn show. Watch that. I haven't started Watchmen yet, but I one one guy right. I know has been really really on me to watch that, so I definitely have to watch it soon. Um, yeah, yeah, I gotta start that up soon. I mean, too. I've been trying. I've had that on my list know. for so long. I guess I'll have to I watch it before prime, I form so. any opinions on it. But. It's just been a very strange sort of thing for me. Right. Show, so, you know, I'll, I'll watch it. Maybe I'll start that tonight, actually. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Though, I'm trying I, to think of well, it. Like, like... I don't know. I've been uh, mostly busy with, like, you know, working on the audio drama and doing schoolwork and everything. So it's, I've kind of had other things to sort of 
put my time into outside of the TV shows, which kind of sucks because, you know, we're in a quarantine time where yeah, I have plenty of time saying. to watch these shows, but also I have all these things I need to do, so I have no time to watch these shows. Right, I get what you're saying. Well, um, it was nice having you on, man. I'm out of topic ideas, but let the people know what you've been working on and when oh, it's coming out. Yeah, um, to can, the kid I never knew think it's going to come called. out so people it's can check it out. A, audio drama i'm gonna premiere it on youtube first so um just search up to the kid i never knew and it will be there and i'm also gonna put it try to put it on spotify as well under podcasts so it's a bit easier to access which might be in the first couple days afterwards i'm aiming for it to be on youtube by um may 31st may 31st is the date that's not gonna change at least the way things are going I am 99% sure that's not going to change. Um, and I'm going to try to have it on Spotify by June 1st or 2nd. So, yeah, be on the lookout for that. If you like audio dramas, I know it's a pretty niche genre. Um, but if you want to hear something new, if you want to hear something, I, I mean, I hope it's interesting, <laughs> then, you know, take a gander, take a listen to it. It's um, It's been a pretty exciting project to work on. It's been pretty fun. Uh, just, you know, something I've been mostly doing in my free time. But... I've been really dedicated to it and really passionate and I'm excited to see it finally become a thing. Cause I mean, I wrote the script back in like August, I think of last year. So this thing has been kind of bubbling for a while and it's, you know, it's just nice to see it as an actual product. All right. And yeah. And when this goes on YouTube, it's going to be the link to it. It will be in the description to the audio drama. And I'm gonna po- if following any of my accounts, I'll post the link basically everywhere. And um, as someone that got to work on it with, um, you know, very little, but um, got to work on it. It was really fun. And Trin's obviously like a really, really creative and talented guy. So like, this is going to be good no matter what. So you may as well check it out if you're interested in anything like this. You have some time. It's basically like if you have this time, you need to lay down and listen to podcasts, maybe fit in this audio yeah. drama. Cause and it's not it's too, too turn long. Out like, pretty great. Yeah, if you definitely have time to listen to these podcasts because these podcasts run like they came over between like an hour and three hours, right? Yeah. So, like, I mean, uh, the audio drama is only about like 20 minutes. Yeah. So, I mean, like if you can if you can find the time for it, yeah, go ahead. Listen to it. Um, it's awesome. That would be yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. Yeah. No problem. Always a pleasure. And thanks again, Trina, for coming on. Anyways, guys. Yeah. Uh, This was really fun. We got to talk about some DC and some Pixar things. Hopefully, um, next time, um, hopefully soon they reopen the theaters, even though it's very obviously like an optimism thing because we know it's not going to happen anytime soon. But hopefully, if it does happen soon, me and Trin will get together again, do another podcast, talk about what's going on then. And yeah. And uh, yeah. So of course, obviously thank you Trin for coming on once again. Um, hopefully we'll do another episode in the future. Where we can talk about some more movie news some more movie topics. Awesome. And thank Perfect. you for one that's watching. Really anything else uh, to say, except yeah, it's always a pleasure to be on and yeah. Thank you for listening. See you, man.